Good morning, everybody. Like Kath said, um, it is Vision Sunday Part 2. So great to have you with us here at the 11. Um, it's going to be a great day. We looked last week at a vision for our lives. And then this Sunday, we're looking at a vision for our church and for the city. And we have a vision here to play our part in the re-evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society, which means we want to see people come to know and love Jesus who don't know him. We want to see churches alive, thriving, full of people worshiping, and we want to see a fairer, more just society. And each one of you here is involved in the vision at Harbour Church. Just by coming today, you're involved in that vision. But also through your praying, through your giving, your serving, being involved in teams, being part of a community and a connect group is part of the vision here. And Liz and I have to constantly remind ourselves... It was only three and a half years ago that we moved over from Brighton to Portsmouth to see if we might play our part in uh, what God wanted to do in Portsmouth. And since then, so many incredible things have happened. God has worked in so many ways. And I just want to... um, just give you a snapshot. Actually, whenever I do Vision Sunday, there are so many stories that I would love to tell you about from all areas of the life of the church, and I can't squeeze them all in. So I just will give you a quick snapshot of some of the things that have happened in the last three and a half years. We've grown on our Sunday attendance from 15 people to over 700 people over three locations and five Sunday services. We've run 18 Alpha courses, seen 100 people come to faith. We've planted new locations in Portsmouth. We're planting a church in Cardiff later this year. We've raised up six leaders to start training to become priests in the Church of England. We've renovated this amazing building. We've launched social transformation projects that seek to provide love, support and encouragement to women in Portsmouth that reach out to the street community with food, practical help and friendship. We've become a debt centre, providing expertise in setting people free from long-term, unmanageable debt. We run a weekly food bank and community cafe in this building for people in Portsea to tackle food, hunger and poverty. Yesterday, we ran an Alpha Day in Ford Prison and saw uh, prisoners filled with the Holy Spirit and encountering Jesus. We run an afternoon tea for older people and their friends to tackle loneliness amongst people over the age of 60. We also run after-school clubs in primary and secondary schools. We've got over 100 kids in Harbour Church, kids every Sunday, 12 people on a discipleship year, 80 students in group, young adult socials, mums groups, dad groups, and a coffee van. And all of this is made possible through your giving, your serving, and your praying. And today, I'm going to do something I only do twice a year, which is to give people an opportunity in our Sunday services to give financially to the life of the church. And um, the reason we only do that twice a year is for a couple of reasons. The first is that I don't think it's the best first impression of a church to come and for the vicar to talk to you about money and um, giving you an opportunity to give your money to the church. I'd much prefer that the first welcome uh, would be warmth and encouragement telling you that you belong here, that you're loved, that Jesus is with you. And so that's why we do it twice a year. And we always link uh, giving to the vision of the church because we want you to know that your giving goes directly to the vision of the church. And so if this is your first Sunday with us, just to say, we won't be talking about um, giving again until October time. Uh, So please come back next week if this is your first time. I promise not to um, be one of those American televangelists that makes you touch the screen and give me five grand. So I I don't know. That's not a thing, is it? I don't know. Um, Anyway, um, but it is good to be honest about money and to know that uh, visions cost money. And the best way to give to the life of the church is to give monthly by standing order. And that way, our finance committee can budget accordingly, knowing what income is coming in over the year. And our finance committee, made up of our trustees, a management accountant, our treasurer, and our finance manager, met on Monday, Monday to talk about the budget for the rest of the year and to set some targets. And they've asked me to... Um, 
tell you that they've calculated in order to carry on doing everything that we're already doing, we need to increase our regular monthly standing orders by 10%. And then they'd like us to raise today in one-off donations across all our services, uh, £12,000 for a project I'm going to talk to you about. And I'm going to ask everybody at the end of the service to consider doing three things. Firstly, if you have a standing order, to increase that by 10%. Secondly, if you don't have a standing order, to set one up. And thirdly, for everyone to consider giving a one-off financial gift. And just before we look at the Bible together to talk about um, the vision, I want to just dispel three quick myths about when it comes to giving and Harbour Church. The first myth is that Harbour Church is a rich church. I would love it if that was the case. However, um, Harbour Church, the trustees will gladly tell you, is not a wealthy church. We um, are predicting a £6,000 deficit for the end of this year, so we don't have enough income to cover our expenditure. But also, um, we don't have any reserves. So we choose not to keep any reserves. It's a decision the trustees made because they want you to know that the reserves are sort of kept with you. And so we don't stockpile loads of money. We keep just enough money to pay the staff um, for a month. And um, so that's the first thing, that Harbour Church is a rich church. The second thing is that Harbour Church is paid for by the Church of England or by somebody else. And again, I would love that if that was the case. However, we um, actually give to the Church of England. We are given the opportunity um, to give uh, to the Church of England every year. I say we're given the opportunity. We're told exactly how much we need to give. Um, so as a church, we give £50,000 to the Church of England every year for the privilege of being in the CV. But actually, it is um, a real privilege, and that money goes towards amazing things. I can tell you about that another time. So that's the second thing. And the third thing, the myth is that... Y- you might think that your giving won't make any difference. Perhaps you know that you can't give a huge amount. But I want you to know that your giving really matters. And for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because we aren't a church with sort of like two or three huge givers. We're a church where everybody pitches in. I think about 125 people give monthly by standing order. The average amount is £97. And so everybody gives um, some money towards the vision. And so it doesn't, it's not relying on one or two very wealthy people who are sort of bankrolling us. Um, it's lots of smaller donations. And the second thing is, we have a finance manager who is incredibly meticulous about tracking how every single penny spends. She's constantly um, reminding me not to waste money and to keep track of all my money. And um, she also helps to set the budget with our treasurer and our trustees. And they want you to know that every penny that you give goes directly towards furthering the vision of the church. They've incredibly efficient team of people who keep me in my place. So that's the um, three myths. I'd love to read the Bible together. It's going to come up on the screens and I'll read it out loud together. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I'll pray and then we'll look at this Bible passage together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit this morning, 
Fill each person here. And as we look at this vision for Portsmouth, remind us, Lord, that it is your church, your city, and it's your kingdom that we're building here. Amen. On Monday this week, I had lunch with a nun, um, which I don't do every week. Uh, I don't know whether you have lunch with a nun on a Monday, but that is what I did this Monday. And she actually was the most inspiring woman and incredibly interesting story. I asked her loads of questions. I was like, oh, when did, did you become a nun? It was in 1985, and she was doing beach mission in Bournemouth, staying in a convent, and felt called to become a nun and to join this religious community. And um, I said, oh, you know, what's it like? Is it difficult? Is it challenging? And she said, oh, you know, um, there are a few things that are unique about the, our way of life. We're not allowed to have any possessions at all. So you can't accumulate any possessions. And if you want to join the religious community, you need to give away everything before you sign up. So she said, for me, it wasn't too bad because she said, I didn't have anything. So um, I didn't have much to give away. But she said, some of the sisters who've joined had to sell and give away houses. They're not allowed to keep the money. They have to sort of give it all away, cars, things like that. And I said, oh, you know, that, that, that's so countercultural to what we're told to do in life. And then she said something which really struck me. She said, oh, often I talk to people and I say to them, can you think of a person in the world whose life has inspired you? And she said, quite regularly, people will say Mother Teresa. Now, I think my nun friend particularly loves Mother Teresa because Mother Teresa is like the best nun. So, um, so she was a big fan. She was sort of like really um, cheering on Mother Teresa. But she said, isn't it interesting how Mother Teresa died with nothing but had everything? And she said, isn't it interesting how the world tells you that in order to find life, you need to accumulate, you need to hold on to stuff, you need to get more, be more, have more. But Jesus says, in order to find life, you need to lose your life. And Jesus was the perfect model of this. In this story, he's telling them he's going to have to give up his whole life to do God's will. And Peter um, sort of challenges him, says, oh, definitely don't do that. There must be another way. Don't give up your life. Don't do this. And Jesus' response is really firm. He's like, get behind me, Satan. I was like, flip. Like, you know, he doesn't beat around the bush. Um, and I think the reason he's so firm with Peter is because he knows that that voice of the world telling you, no, 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 don't give it all away. Like, hold on to it. Don't sacrifice that. Keep it for yourself is a real challenging voice for all of us. The world is telling us to hold on to our lives. But Jesus says the heavenly way is to give your life away. And it is um, not just our finances. I don't think, I've generally, I've found that when I make my life about what we're doing here at Harbour Church, about seeing Portsmouth transformed, about playing my part in seeing God's kingdom come in Portsmouth, I find that I actually feel more joyful. I have more purpose. It brings me a better life. And then when we take a two-week holiday and sort of faff about in Portsmouth and I sort of get obsessed with like what kind of plants we've got in the lounge and like what colour we should be, I find that like my joy actually decreases. And I sort of, when my life becomes about my life and what we have, it doesn't lead to life. And obviously, I'm not suggesting that I'm like the model for how you um, give your life away. Because actually, I find it incredibly hard. Like, I love stuff. And I, um, but I would like to see more of that part of my life. I would like to pour more of my life out and see how God might use it. I'd like to be more generous. And I believe now, more than in any of the time that since Liz and I moved over to Portsmouth, that we definitely can see this city changed and transformed. That we can play our part in making a difference And we didn't plant this church in order to see if we might fill some Sunday services. 
You know, if we get to 20 years' time and we're like, oh, wow, you know, there's these five services and they've all got lots of people coming to them. But if you look at the city, divorce rate is up and fewer children are getting good GCSE results and crime is up and mental health issues are worse. Domestic violence is on the... That would look like failure. We didn't come to see if we might fill a church building. We came to play our part in seeing a city changed and transformed, seeing the kingdom of heaven in Portsmouth. And there are so many areas of the life of the church that I would love to tell you about. But there's one particularly, as I was writing this talk, that I felt um, was an area where the Holy Spirit is working at the minute. And um, that area is with our young people, particularly with our youth. And I love Portsmouth. I love that my kids will grow up in Portsmouth, that they'll go to school in Portsmouth. It's a great place to raise a family, to raise children. I went somewhere the other day, and I was really glad that I was like, I'm glad they're not growing up here. I said that in the nine, and they went, yeah, Southampton, boo, um, scummers. But um, the, um, I'm really glad that my kids will grow up in Portsmouth. I love this city. I genuinely love it so much. It's a great place. But I don't think that every young person will have the same opportunities that my kids hopefully will have. And when you begin to look at some of the research and the statistics around young people in Portsmouth, they're not very pleasant reading. So looking at just the area where our churches are, 46% of under-18s in central Portsmouth live in poverty. That's nearly half. 47% live in a household with only one parent. 71% live in social housing. Only 34% of children leaving year 11 will leave with maths and English GCSE. So two-thirds of children leaving year 11 won't have maths and English GCSE. There's been a 37% increase in the number of young offenders since 2016, and crime committed by young men in central Portsmouth has gone up 80% in the last year. And many of you guys are working with this generation of young people, and you'll know these statistics far better than I am. You're doing so much more than me to make a difference in young people's lives. And I just want to be here applauding you and encouraging you, but also celebrating as a church what all you guys are doing. We're seeing real signs of hope in this area. Last October, we started an after-school football club at Charter Academy. And the idea was to try and engage with young um, people who weren't attending school or were attending school but not going to their lessons. And so on a Thursday, a team go in and they run an after-school football club. But the rule is you have to go to school that day and you have to go to all your lessons in order to be able to be part of the after-school football club. And they do an hour of football. And the idea is that they, they're doing physical health there, but also they're working on teamwork and that. And then at the end, there's like a 15-minute thought on a positive message. And I was asking the guy, Izzy, who um, looks after this project, I said, oh, what, like, is, it, is there a list of all the thoughts you do? And he said, oh, no, what I do is I watch them play football. And I sort of pick out what they're getting wrong, and then I try and address it in the talk. So if they're not playing fairly... I'll talk about honesty or I'll talk about fairness and I'll try and sort of encourage them in that. I thought it was the most incredible thing. You know, 25 young people have been along to that after-school football club and 15 of them are coming away with us to our church week away this summer. And some of those kids like, have never left Portsmouth and they're coming away with us to our church week away. I think that's the most amazing thing. I asked Izzy if there was um, uh, stuff going on. He wrote me this note and part of it said this. The receptionist heard about what I was doing and she spoke to me. Sobbingly, she said that in her nine years in working at the school, this year had been the first time she'd felt scared. Scared that a student might jump over the receptionist's desk and hit her. But since I've come in and informed her of what it is we do at the school, she said that she now has hope and it's starting to feel safe again. She even invited me and Karis to run a Bible study for the teachers after school. 
God seems to be doing something with our young people. We had 30 young people on Youth Alpha. We've been doing assemblies at Oakland School. And just this week, we started going in on a lunchtime to help Oakland School with their Christian Union. And, and we believe this is just the start. We think something really amazing is happening. And so this uh, summer, in July, for a week, we've got um, Governor B, who's an award-winning uh, musician, coming down to Portsmouth for a week. And um, he's coming along with a woman called Sadie Robertson. And Sadie Robertson uh, was on the biggest American uh, reality TV show that there is. Um, it's called Duck Dynasty. And it was about her family. And she became incredibly famous. And then she went on Dancing with the Stars, which I think is a bit like Strictly Come Dancing. Anyway, she felt like God calling her to the UK to try and encourage young people. And so her and Governor B are coming down for a week to go into schools in Portsmouth to see if they could spend a day in each of the schools to encourage them to bring um, life and energy and to speak to those young people about Jesus, tell them that they're loved and known and important. And then on the Friday night of that um, week-long schools work, they're going to run like a live event with worship and Sadie's going to do a talk. And um, our youth team this week were thinking, well, we, we, we could do that event in one of our churches, but none of our churches holds more than like 500 people. And we said, oh, maybe more than 500 people would like to come. So we started thinking about venues to where we could host this event. And so the, the guys thought, oh, well, maybe we could host it in the Guildhall, which is like this big concert venue in Guildhall Square. And um, they rang, but like the only day that Sadie Robertson and Governor B can do is Friday the 10th of July, and it's like incredibly busy schedule. And so um, someone rang them this week and said, oh, is there any chance that we could book in on a Friday night? And they were like, oh, well, every Friday's booked up for the next six months. But the only one we have free is the 10th of July. I thought it was so amazing that God is on the move with our young people. I can't wait for that to happen. But that's like only a short-term plan. I met with someone a few weeks ago, well, actually a few months ago now, and he said, oh, you know, Alex, if you're really serious about seeing if you can transform Portsmouth, you need to start in schools. Like that, that's where children grow up. It's where they get their culture. It's where they're given a future and a hope. And he said, if you really want to see a change happen, you should start a school. So I laughed. And then I sort of thought, yeah, I'll put that on my to-do list, start a school. I could be head teacher. Um, and then I went home to tell Liz, and she sort of laughed and went, if you start a school, I'm going to... Anyway. Um, so, uh, but then we started doing some research, and we got like a bit more serious about it. And then we found a group of people from a church in Brighton who'd set up a free school a few years ago. And they'd worked with the Department for Education to see if they might start a secondary school. And this um, December, Ofsted just told them that they're about to become an outstanding school, a secondary school. And she said, oh, we're seeing young people go to school in a completely different way, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're important, teaching them that they have a future and that they can... And also, they're seeing the results massively improve, not only in their school, but them arriving in Brighton and doing this school has improved all the other schools in Brighton as well. So a couple of weeks ago, we got together lots of teachers, educationalists, people who are involved um, around the diocese in education, and we started talking about when it might be possible for us to open a free school here in Portsmouth. And so we're just beginning to work with the Regional Schools Commissioner and the Department for Education to see, can we start a school here in Portsmouth? If we're serious about seeing the transformation of this city, we need bold, radical ideas. And so if you want to be involved with that, please do let me know. All these projects are so exciting. We want to see the end of domestic violence. We want to see the end of hunger. We want people not to be lonely. But we know that true transformation comes from an encounter with Jesus, an ongoing relationship with 
Jesus. And our hope that through all of this work that we're doing is, of course, just by feeding someone that is showing them Jesus' love. But we want people to fall in love with Jesus and to be in a relationship with him for the rest of their lives. Last Saturday, so like eight days ago, we had our Alpha Day Away. And um, Alpha is um, a course that we run for people who are exploring questions of faith. And we've run six courses this year. So in the middle of the course, we get together to do the Alpha Day, where we talk about the Holy Spirit, and we give people an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we had about 50 people come on our Alpha Day. And it's no exaggeration to say I literally live for these Alpha Days. It was the most incredible day. I think it's only Christians who like celebrate when people cry. But like, there, there was like tears everywhere, and all the Christians were like, this is great, God's doing something amazing. You know, if you see someone crying, the Lord is at work. Um, but one of the guys who came on the Alpha Day is a guy called Ethan. And Ethan's a second-year Portsmouth University student, and he's from Wales, and he'd never been to church before in his life. And in November, one of his course mates invited him to come to Alpha. And so he, uh, no, sorry, invited him to come to church. And he came to our 6 p.m. service. And then he said to one of our um, staff team, he said, I'm just so embarrassed about what I thought church was like. It's nothing like I imagined. And they were like, yeah, some churches are probably like you imagined, but yes. Um, so anyway, he started coming each week, and he's like really enjoying church. And then in January, they invited him to do Alpha in the Guildhall Village pub, which is um, where we've been doing Alpha this term, one of our Alpha courses. And he came every single Tuesday. He like cancelled his work shifts to come to Alpha, and we're like, oh, he's like really enjoying it. This is like really good. We're like constantly surprised, like anybody would want to do it. But um, and then he decided to come to the Alpha day. But he said, oh, I saw him after he said, I was so nervous because I just didn't know what it would be like. I knew there'd be like worship and I sort of wanted to hide at the back and I sort of felt a bit worried about what would happen or worried that like, nothing would happen. And, and then um, at the end of the day, we, we pray, come Holy Spirit, and we ask the Spirit to fill people up. And I prayed that. And then I went over and prayed for Ethan. And um, I sort of prayed, come Holy Spirit, and then wandered off and didn't really think much of it. And then Later on, I saw his mate go over and pray with him, and they both sort of started uh, crying. And I was like, oh, the Lord's doing something, tears. Uh, but then the next day, he came to our evening service. And normally, he just sort of walks in, and go, uh, but he came straight over to me, and he looked me in the eye and said, oh, Alex, yesterday was the best day of my life. I went, what? In, that, in, in our church? He was like, yesterday was the best day of my life. I'm not joking. And I was like, why? And he said, oh, I can't even begin to tell you. And I realized that I was so shocked. But then I remembered that the day I encountered Jesus was and still is the best day of my life. And so I decided to take him out for um, lunch this week because I wanted to hear more. And also because I live for it. Um, so I, I took him out for lunch. And I was like, what, why was it the best day of your life? And he said, well, like, when you came over and you prayed, all my sort of worry and my anxiety just literally left immediately. And I just felt such a sense of peace. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And he said, and then my mate came over and he said, I just felt this overwhelming sense of emotion and I just couldn't stop crying. And I was like, oh, that's good. And I thought, well, you know, it is really amazing. But so we don't, we don't want people to fall in love with happy feelings or nice people or good community. So I was like, oh, right, nice. Was that it then? He's like, no, I went home and I was on my own and I closed the door and I started praying. And you always say, when we pray, we should put our hands out. So I was like, yes, I do say that. Um, he said, I put my hands out. And he said, when I started praying for the first time, just me and God, he said, I felt like I could feel the whole weight of the person I was praying to. And it was like they were in the room with me, telling me that I was loved. And he's like, I just like, knew that God was with me and that God loved me. And I was like, cool. This is really cool. 
And then I said, oh, and he's going away for um, 10 days, going to help with a part of his uni course. And I said, oh, I'd love to buy you a Bible. Will you give me your address? He said, oh, I don't need one because my mate who invited me to Alpha came around the other night for dinner. He said he went upstairs to the toilet. But when I went to bed, on my pillow, there was this Bible. And he said there was a note on the inside. I said, what did it say? And he gave me a picture of the note. And the note said this. Dear Eth, I genuinely think this book speaks for itself. It doesn't need bigging up. Give it a try. I hope it brings you hope and joy and purpose. This book is what the whole Christian faith stands on. Love you lots, Ethan from Wales. And I said, do do you want me um, to sort of uh, explain maybe how you should start reading it? He said, oh, no, I'm halfway through Luke. (laughs) I said, oh, so you like pray and you feel the weight of the glory of the Lord. And you read the Bible. He's basically more of a Christian than I am. And he said, honestly, I can't begin to tell you the difference it's made. He posted on his Instagram that Alpha was the best thing he's ever done. But what's more amazing is Josh, who invited him. He could have come to university and said, I'm going to make this university life about how many friends I can make and like, how much of a good time I can have, how far I can push my university degree, what I can get out of it. But he said, I wonder what it would look like to make my university years about how I could bless somebody else. Last Saturday, he saw five of his course mates give their life to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I saw him this week for tennis, and I was like, mate, it's amazing, isn't it? He was like, I just can't, just can't stop crying about it. What does it look like when you give your life away? What would it be like to not make your life about your life, but to lose your life to find it? That's what the invitation is this morning, is to play our part in seeing what Jesus might do in this city this year for 10 years, for 20 years, to see if the kingdom of heaven will grow in Portsmouth, to see a generation transformed. Amen.